Welcome to another episode of Ben Shen Talks Shit. And I am just so excited for this interview with my friend and inspiration, Jesse Israel. I'm going to do a little intro to you, but I really love when people just share their own, who they are and what they're up to. But Jesse Israel is the founder of The Big Quiet, and you started out in the music industry and you eventually discovered meditation, which led you to a radical career change and leading and teaching meditation to millions in some of the most iconic places around the world. And now virtually as well. And you've also toured with Oprah recently, and which was so amazing to witness as someone who was with you in the earlier days in New York. And it's really a transformation that shows that anything is possible, going from music to meditation, being able to help so many people around the world find a little bit of calm in this crazy world we live in. So just to start, but how did you go from the music industry to meditation, the music world to the meditation world. First of all, I just want to say I'm so excited to be on your podcast because you're one of my favorite people, Desi. And I've That's so sweet. <laughs> really been looking forward to this. Music industry to meditation industry. <laughs> I had my record label. It was something that I started when I was a sophomore at NYU. So I, I was in the dorms, my roommate and I. We had no idea what the hell we were doing, but we heard about this band called MGMT. They were college students at Wesleyan. We loved their music. We heard we heard MP3s that they had recorded for a class that, that they were in on making pop music. It was like a project. And they made a song called Kids as their class project. So we heard an MP3 of this in our dorm room at NYU. And we're like, wow, this shit's good. So we decided that we'd start a record label and work with these guys to help create awareness for their music. And somehow they said, okay, really nobody knew what the hell was going on, but it happened. It worked. The band took off. By the time I was 23 and I had graduated from NYU, I was pretty burnt out. I didn't really know what burnout was, but looking back on it, it's definitely what it was. I was just, I was so fried and I was having panic attacks and pretty debilitating anxiety. And it was confusing because we had this kind of cool, sexy band and this interesting label on the outside of a lot of like kind of cool external validators. But internally, I, I wasn't feeling great. What year was this around? I love like chronology. That was 008 when I graduated from NYU okay. and, and when this was happening, 2008. And then that's what led me to try to find ways to help me move through some of the mental health challenges I was experiencing. And I learned about meditation. That was probably around then. Yeah, it was probably like around 09 something like that. I learned meditation with Light Watkins, mm. great Vedic meditation teacher. And it just brought me so much relief. I found it to be so helpful. For me, it was really about stress reduction at that time, mm -hmm. but it, it really was so helpful for me. And I would meditate backstage at music festivals and you know, it became this really big part of my life. And other people would come up to me and ask me, what's that thing you're doing? Does it help with anxiety? And it led to this little community that would form backstage at festivals where we would meditate and we would talk about the real things that were going on in our lives, you know, kind of behind the headlines of social media. And I loved the feeling of organizing those little meetups. And I loved realizing and seeing that other people were going through the same things that I was going through. It was very validating to have space to talk about that. We just needed to slow down and get quiet to then be able to talk honestly about what was really happening and doing it at music festivals of all places, you know, totally chaotic, tons of noise. It's kind of a unique backdrop, mm -hmm. but it's what led to me saying, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to leave the music industry I don't know what I want to do next, but I want to continue to organize. I want to continue to gather people so we can slow down, so we can talk about real stuff. That's how MediClub was born. First one was 20 people in, in our buddy Yubi's apartment. 
And then from there, it grew, you know, it grew from 20 people to five years later, being on tour with Oprah, leading meditations for, you know, 17,000 people in arenas. Which is so, I mean, first of all, I didn't know the real story as to how you went from music to meditation. I kind of knew bits and pieces of it. But back in 2008, the wellness industry didn't really have its like peak of the bubble yet. So it's really amazing that even as a 23-year-old, you were kind of like, I don't feel great. And I have this amazing success, but I don't feel good inside. And to seek some sort of technique to feel better in some way, finding meditation. And then well, I love the story about doing it backstage at music festivals, because I think what's so cool now is seeing how many creative people are using meditation as a technique to access more creativity and to get quiet so they can actually feel better about themselves and about the world. So they can just access different parts of themselves and feel better about themselves so they produce more work that they feel good about as well. Right. And one of the things that I love about the story is, as well as going from like 20 people to thousands of people over the years. And I think that that's something that's so missing. So when you first started teaching MediClub back in our friend UV's apartment, did you think that this was going to become something or was this really something that you were just like, I'm interested in bringing together community? Or was there like a, a mission behind it at that point? Or was it just like, I'm going to do this and see what happens? You know, what was interesting about it was I didn't have a vision. Uh I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have any plan. I just felt this deeper feeling in my gut. It was like an intuitive pull that said, just start creating space for people to come and meditate together. I just got goosebumps. (laughs) Wow. That was all it was. And part of what was so special about it was I gave myself the permission to not let it be about what's the business model? How am I going to make money? You know, I had a few months of savings Mm -hmm. from my record label looked a lot sexier than it was financially. So I actually only had a few months of savings, (laughs) but it was enough for me to kind of roll into project mode and say, okay, let me just like not put any pressure on what happens here. Let me just follow this thing that I feel inside of me. And also it was this thing that I knew there was a need for. I could tell that I wasn't the only person that was experiencing anxiety and and feeling overwhelmed, although I had this kind of cool life on social media. Mm -hmm. And I really felt this call to make space for people to be able to get quiet and then talk about what was really happening. So I knew that there was a need there. So for me, it was kind of that combo of more so looking back on it. It was that combo of an intuitive pull and it was serving the need that people have. I think if those two things are there, that it grows. And I just, the reason I got goosebumps is one, just knowing your story and how far you've come and just hearing that that was the first push, that there was an intuitive pull. And so many of us don't listen to that. And especially just hearing this as a whole, especially when we see other people's lives on social media that look really sparkly, or even we think like, oh, I have this really sparkly life and it's going really well. And I fill these sort of external validators on what life should look like, essentially like a highlights reel, to make a jump like that, to go and trying something new based off of intuitive pull, based off of like no business plan, just like I'm going to use my couple months of savings and see what happens. So at what point did you realize that you were really onto something? Thanks for saying that. That reflection means a lot. And, you know, for me, it was actually the first meetup. Mm. I can't remember the exact numbers, around 20 people. And I was so nervous. I didn't teach meditation. I I wasn't trained to teach meditation. So I I didn't feel it wasn't appropriate for me to to teach. So we came together and the idea was, all right, we're going to close our eyes now. And the idea was for people that already had a practice, we we would meditate together. 
so we closed our eyes. And then after the meditation, I really pushed myself, myself to share vulnerably about where I was at in my career transition. Mm-hmm. So to share some of the questions, some of the self-doubt that was coming up for me. And I'd never spoken like that in a room full of people that I knew from business, from music festivals, from music industry, from the fashion world. A lot of friends that I really looked up to in, in work, I'd never shared like that. Mm-hmm. But I pushed myself to do it. And after we meditated, I shared a little, shared vulnerably about what, what was going on, where I was at in my life. And then I remember when I finished my share, I said, can anyone relate? The room was just dead silent. And I was like, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> I just felt so naked. Uh-huh. And then somebody else shared and it was really powerful. And then somebody else shared and then somebody, and then it just was like wildfire. I was like, everybody was going through some version of the same thing, Mm -hmm. but none of us were talking about it. And suddenly we were. Mm -hmm. And in that moment at that first meetup, I was like, all right, there's something here. There's a need here. And it was kind of like a lightning bolt that hit me. It was like, boom, this is going to be a big part of what I give myself to next. So I just kept following that. I love that. And I remember when I first went to MediClub, I don't remember what year it was. I think it was 2017 because I was going through a pretty significant breakup. I was just, I was in the probably lowest of lows. And I had been meditating and doing yoga and stuff like that. And I just felt like it wasn't really working, which is sort of, ironic to leave the fashion industry and dive into the wellness world and feel like, why was I happier when I was in the fashion industry? And at that point, I was at the lowest point and a friend of mine said, come with me to this thing. And she took me to MediClub for the first time. And I actually felt really fucking dumb being there. I was like, I am a meditation teacher, a yoga teacher, and I'm so unhappy. Mm. I'm in this group of people that look really happy, you know, where they, they're all happy to see each other and there's community. So I felt really scared being there. I think maybe scared is a better word. And I remember hearing you talk and hearing other people share. That was the biggest thing for me because the sharing aspect, I was like, wow, I'm not the only one. And that's what I just felt so safe there. And that was the first time that I felt like, oh, this is a bunch of real people like me who are living in the real world and want to just feel better and want to find some way to connect with each other. And that's what I absolutely loved when I first started. And one of the things that you are really uh, amazing at is creating community and bringing people together, whether it's through MediClub, the Big Quiet, or in other ways. But what is one of the things that you've learned about bringing people together? Because I think you do it in such a way that's special where it's, you're not like, I'm your leader, listen to me. You're really like, I just want to bring people together. And I know a lot of people that might be listening to this might be just the beginning of creating community or you know teaching classes. And they're like, how do I actually bring people together? So what's something you've learned over the years about creating community and bringing people together? Yeah, a few things. The first one that comes to mind is do it around something that is a shared activity. Mm-hmm. What I mean by shared activity is like, I would say like organizing a panel where people come together and talk at an audience. That to me mm-hmm. is not a shared experience. That, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's an event. But that's very much like people are on stage talking to the audience. Mm-hmm. Even a concert, I would say, is, you know, it's people on stage mm-hmm. delivering something for an audience. Nothing against these, right? I was in the music industry through many concerts for a long time. But when it comes to community building, I like to look at how can it be something that mm-hmm. the thing only works if we all do it together? Like everybody needs to participate for the thing to work. So that's why Cyclones, our bike club, we actually did a, a revival ride last weekend. I saw. With 100 people in Venice. And it was, you know, it was the blast. But that was, you know, hundreds of people 
coming together, take over five, six blocks and ride bikes together. We become a mass unit taking over the streets. Everybody participates. Same with MediClub, same with the big quiet, mass meditation. Everybody plays a role in sharing quiet to create mm -hmm. collective quiet. So what this ties into is, I think, for really strong community, we really want to think about how can the community member be contributing? How can they, by being in the community, be playing some role? And the more that the community member feels like they can contribute and play a role in that community, the more meaningful it will be for them, the more it will make them feel of use, which is something that we are all wired for, but mm -hmm. so many of us don't feel. It's, it's easy to mm -hmm. not feel like we are of use. And the thing will grow. And part of why I think MediClub grew so much, I mean, you, you nailed this. People will think, oh, you know, wow, it was a meditation community. People love meditating. That's crazy how it grew so much. It actually wasn't the meditation that grew it. Meditation was the thing that called people in. Oh, I want to try meditation. Oh, I've heard cool shit about it. This was eight years ago, right? There mm -hmm. weren't all these wellness events. But really what it was, it was the small groups where we would break up into groups of five and everybody would share what was going on for them. Contribution being able to actually give to the experience. It was those moments that really allow people to feel like they belong to something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a key piece. And even right now, I'm doing a little community building experiment just for fun. You know, I live in LA now and I live in Marina del Rey. It's next to Venice. It's close to the beach. And I love jumping in the water at the end of the day, like during magic hour in the summer. Just a quick dip in the water mm -hmm. feels amazing. It's such a great reset. And I've always found that it's fun to do with friends. So a few friends and I just started Dip Club, where every Wednesday we meet up at 6.30. We got a big group. We all hold hands. We run into the water together. And that's it. And then we have dinner on the beach, right? It's just like simple shit that allows people to have fun, feel like kids contribute. I love that it's 6.30 p.m. because on social media, I thought it was 6.30 a.m. And I was like, these guys are really just <laughs> killing it in L.A. Like, do I need to move to L.A.? I remember seeing it. I was like, God damn it. I was like, I thought I got up early. But I love that. I just a really quick question. Like, What made you move from New York to LA? I don't think we ever talked about that. I grew up in LA originally. Mm -hmm. and, I, and then when I went to New York to, to go to NYU when I was 18, I wound up spending 17 years mm -hmm. there. And I think when I like entered into my 30s, I just started to feel this call to go back to LA. Mm -hmm. I think energetically, I just wanted something that felt, it might've just been because there's family. It might've been, you know, the weather. But I started to feel this calling to be in an environment that felt more soothing mm -hmm. to my nervous system. And that feels really important to me with the work that I do. Mm -hmm. I feel like to have an environment that feels really soothing for me allows me to then go out and do my thing, be on stages, whatever, teach, talk, lead in a way where I can give kind of more of my power. So that's why I shifted home base. And now I see my fam regularly and got a great community out here. Again, right by the beach. So that feels good to me right now. Yeah, I just was curious because I just got back from two weeks in Italy on the Amalfi Coast. And I've been in New York for a long time. And I think that there's a part of it that there's like a pride. I live in New York and I can do it and I get through it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm a bad bitch, you know. But uh, being in, in there, and this happened twice as I went last year, but as soon as I land there, and it's just, and it's not, I've gone to other beautiful places in the world and I haven't felt the same. And it's when I land there, there's something that happens that I just feel so calm and the anxieties and the worries that I feel in New York City that I feel like I have to work so hard to like just keep my head on my shoulders 
they just completely melt away. Mm. And that was sort of a big reckoning this time. So I'm like three days back and I'm just like, holy shit, there's nothing wrong with me. It's kind of just the environment that I'm living in. And right. it's a really big wake up call. It's something that I haven't had the time to like wrap my head around, but it is really inspiring to hear people say that I've shifted or I've moved and um, just to feel better. I think that sometimes we yeah. get wrapped up. And I like what you're saying. Our bodies know and our environments are a really important indicator of our well-being. Mm-hmm. So I really like what you're saying about like tuning into where does my body feel good? Where does my body feel safe? Mm-hmm. Where does my body feel like it can really give its gifts, mm-hmm. feel most alive and making sense of that. And it doesn't mean that it's the type of thing where we need to act on it right away, mm-hmm. but just, you know, making, getting clear about that data as we make choices in our lives. I think it's really important. Uh, I love that you said that. So yeah, for me, when I moved to LA, it felt great. I was like, wow, I can't believe I waited this long. I think a big piece of it for me was that I could see my family regularly too. Mm-hmm. But living by the beach, you know, I lived in Bushwick and you remember my like kind of old artist loft it was across the street from a cement factory. So, mm-hmm. you know, going from that to being closer to the beach was a really nice kind of rejuvenating shift. But I wound up after only a short period of time, but like right after the pandemic kicked in, I wound up moving into a house in the canals in Venice beach that had black molds. And I went from loving my environment to being poisoned by my environment. And one of the main symptoms of toxic mold poisoning is that it creates neurological damage. And there's really significant cognitive dissonance that occurs in the brain when someone experiences it. And I didn't know what it was for a while. And I had set up a little virtual studio in this new home that I moved into because it was the pandemic time. So I was like, all right, I got to figure out how to do all my work virtually. Mm -hmm. And it was in the room where I was teaching from. And I just got off tour with Oprah. So I was seen as this, you know, kind of like this wellness figure, this this figure for meditation, Mm -hmm. being asked to go on national TV to talk about the benefits of wellness during the pandemic. Meanwhile, my brain was dysfunctioning. I couldn't remember words. Like I lose my train of thought when I'm guiding meditations. I felt so sick. I'd never had imposter syndrome like that before. So yeah, this this conversation around environment is really interesting because that led to a really challenging period of my life. And, you know, you mentioned the New York Times article and, and that's when I said that. I remember clearly having this moment with my mom where I was like, it was like, mom, this is so scary for me. People think of me as this mindfulness expert. You know, I'm, I'm Oprah's meditation guy, mm-hmm. but I actually think I'm losing my mind. Mm-hmm. And that breakthrough was so challenging, especially for my identity and my ego and all these things I'd worked so hard for. But it also... As challenging things also, it wound up being a great fucking gift, huge teacher for me. And it actually, through that experience, a lot of what I teach and talk about now is informed by that experience. In what way was it a gift? Just because I know that some people listening to this episode could be in a place where they're going through some sort of challenges in their life, whether it's physical or emotional. And, you know, for me, I've seen, I've gone through some things in my life where I look back on them like, holy shit, that was really fucking tough. And that was the hardest period of my life. And was also something that gave me my greatest strength, right. but it's something that we look back on. So what was the gift that you got from that? What did you learn from that experience? How did you even get figure out what it was? I had friends who also had been experienced mold poisoning in Venice and recommended that I have a home inspector come and I did all these tests and 
figured it out. For what it's worth, if anybody is feeling confused about why they're experiencing symptoms of like serious brain fog, just feeling really unwell when they're in their homes, but feel good when they leave their homes, it's worth having an inspection to check out if that's there because it's actually pretty common. A lot of people don't realize that it's a thing. But anyways, the first thing I want to say about it is, yes, I think our greatest challenges are our greatest teachers. Um, I also understand that when we're in the thick of our challenge, whatever that might be, if it's a breakup, if it's a career transition, if it's a chronic illness or an injury, that when we're in those moments of pain, that I do really think it's important for us to let ourselves feel that pain and to let ourselves be with that. Because it's really easy, I think, to go to a place and be like, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Like, be grateful. Life is still good. There's a lot of beauty in that message, but it's very hard to hear that when we're in our pain point. So I do think that I personally needed to go through a period of time where I was very miserable. (laughs) And um, it was really uncomfortable and scary. But I did reach a point where I was able to say, okay, now I'm ready to make a change. And what led me to that point was this realization that I'd had, which was for my entire adult life, my sense of happiness was tied to how things were going in work or what was going on in my kind of like romantic relationship world, right? If work was popping and things were big, big press, big events, sold out this, Oprah, Deepak, whatever, (laughs) I was good, right? Same with like if I was, if I had great partnership or if I was, you know, seeing someone that I felt really great about, I was good. But then if either of those things changed, this is what I saw my personal situation, my happiness would change Mm -hmm. and my sense of self, self self-worth would change. And I was up and down on this journey pretty much since college. And going off of tour with Oprah, it was exciting. It was amazing in so many beautiful ways, being able to help people and just being able to really live my my purpose. But I was so hyper-identified with that success, right? Guiding the biggest meditations in the world alongside Oprah, getting booked for all these incredible talks, getting paid really well to do my work. And I was really identified with it. So when the mold thing kicked in, I kind of lost my ability to do my work. And slowly but surely, my work stopped. Mm -hmm. I reached a point where I just stopped. Nothing came in. I didn't believe in myself. It was just like full scarcity, full repellent mode, no self-worth. Just everything really came to a standstill. And it was really fucking painful. And it was in that period of time, that period of complete stillness, no external shit to identify with, no external shit to fuel that sense of happiness. When I was in that period, as cliche as it sounds, It was one morning where it shifted for me and I looked myself in the mirror. I I looked very unwell. It was really high. It was taking me a long time to get healthy, but I looked myself in the mirror and I was like, regardless of where I'm at right now with work or with things, my romantic partnership had just ended. It really was still, regardless of where I'm at with work and with relationships, I'm proud of the man that I am. I'm proud of the person that I am for the experiences that I've had, for all the hard work that I've done, for the ups, for the downs, like to be me is something that I'm proud of. And I started to focus on how can I just cultivate more of this appreciation for my journey? I got really into this concept of the reverse bucket list. Wow. People probably know what a bucket list is. Like a bucket list is when we, when we name like the big goals and kind of like those life targets that we want to hit in a lifetime. A reverse bucket list is the opposite. Reverse bucket list is when we really make space to see what are the accomplishments that we've already brought to life? What are the things we're proud of ourselves for? It's about seeing our progress and celebrating what we have, where we've been, what's gotten us to this moment. So the more I I was able to cultivate that, and then through that found more of a, a natural sense of enthusiastic gratitude for my life, 
and and for the person that I am in the world. It, it, it's just like something shifted, and I started to experience, you know, what's referred to as baseline happiness. It's this ability to to feel a sense of happiness based on what's inside of me, instead of relying on happiness on the things that are external, outside of me. And from that place, it was really beautiful to see how things started to shift and change and and how my kind of life and work grew from there. I love that so much because we only have one more question after this, but I think that that was such a great way to sort of segue the conversation because I think that it's so important to talk about this in terms of success because we do live in a digital age where we are comparing ourselves to hundreds if not thousands of people on a daily weekly basis and we put this pedest- our life on a pedestal where like we need to be a certain way or oh look at that person they're growing 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 and they're so successful and I want to be like that and I'm not good enough and my life is here my life is there it's so refreshing to hear that you were at what some people, maybe even yourself ago, this is the peak of my career. And then life was like, uh, yeah, hello, welcome to the shit show of the next few months of your life. <laughs> and it's so validating to hear that because that's just life, you know? And I love that you said that what you did was you allowed yourself to be in that space. Because I think that especially in the industry that we work in or the wellness industry, sometimes we'll feel not good. And just like we reach for drinking, drugs, alcohol, smoking, this, that. We also sometimes reach for the wellness stuff to bury our feelings and just put some positivity over it. And it's all going to be good versus actually acknowledging what's going on and actually acknowledging that we're human and that we all have things going on. And we all have breakups, loss, grief, you know, personal identity crisis. You know, I was going through some stuff the last year where, because, you know, I had been teaching Kundalini yoga for a long time and I wanted to make some, just even yoga in general. And I was like, I think I'm moving into something new, but I didn't know what that was yet. And I still don't. And I'm kind of like, who am I? What am I doing? And everyone's like, no, 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 you're so successful. You're doing this and everything's going amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it is, but I still don't know who I am. And I'm still trying to figure out who I am and what do I want. So I think it's really refreshing to hear that, you know, that life is life and that it's going to have its ups and downs. And that's just part of it. Yes. And it's really inspiring to see you on the other side. And also knowing probably now, you know, like if life throws you more curveballs, you're like, I went through that. So I can go through, I have the tools to go through whatever I need to go through again. Like if shit happens, like roll my sleeves up. I can do this. Yes. Thanks for saying that. And I and I so appreciate your vulnerability and your honesty around uh, your process with this. Because it's it's so important for us to talk about this stuff, especially as people who are more public with our work. So important mm-hmm. to communicate that like all things in life, like all things in nature, there are cycles. We have these periods where things are really exciting and booming with work or with love. And we have periods where things get slower. And it's really easy for us to identify just with the big, exciting moments, right? If we think of it like an ocean, Mm -hmm. when there's big sets, big waves, really exciting things happening, we can get hyper-identified with the waves. But then when the waves stop and it's a period of just stillness in the ocean, it's really easy to panic. It's really easy to feel like we're not enough or what the fuck's going on. Oh, my God. But when we're able to realize that we are not the waves, we are the entire ocean, Mm -hmm. including the waves, including the stillness. And we see that that is the cycle of life. That's what's really here for us to celebrate, for us to soak up, right? We are the ocean 
that's when the shift begins to occur. That's when we can give ourselves the permission to just be in the periods where there's challenge, to be in the periods where things slow down, to understand and trust that nature has our back. Things will unfold. Things will pick up again. And when we're able to really root that in belief for ourselves, love for ourselves, really cultivating worth for ourselves, then the process actually starts to become enjoyable. We're actually able to smile and have a laugh while all of this is occurring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love what you said about the reverse bucket list because like you, you know, a lot of my work is huge highs and then quiet. You know, every month we're selling this course and we have an incredible community and most of the stimulus comes at one period and then it's super quiet. You know, and then I'm running the course of the month, but in terms of like, you know, sales or numbers or this or that. So it really hits you. Oh, yeah, we're successful. Oh, we didn't hit this number. Oh, that. And it it really got wrapped up in my identity. And it's something that just has been a struggle. And when we were just in Italy, I had a conversation with someone that was really about, you know, my mom came to Paris for a venture of that last year. My mom comes to like all the stuff and she's just such a big, she's so cute. She loves it. And we sat down in Paris and we had a real, my mom and I are very close and we had a real heart to heart about abandonment um, because my mom, her parents left when she was 13 and she's lost a lot of people in her life very tragically. Brother was killed. Like it's just all one after the other. We had this really deep talk about abandonment and in Italy, I had a conversation with someone if they thought that I took on some of my mom's stuff or some of my parents' stuff, and if I identify with that or if I've taken it on too much. And there was this, through this conversation, this reflection of what I'm doing and through my healing process, through everything I've done the last 15 years for my personal growth, um, I was like, wow, I've done a lot and I've healed a lot. And through healing me, I'm healing my lineage. And I'm he- my mom has started to grieve. She cried for the first time in 40 years when my friend passed away wow. years ago. I was with her on the 40th anniversary of her brother's death and she started bawling. And there was just a lot of healing that happened. And it was sort of like that moment with that conversation in Italy where I had this reflection of what I've done and what I've been through. And it was a really powerful moment to be like, wow, you don't need to do more X, Y, and Z. Like you're enough. You have learned a lot. You've grown a lot. You've helped a lot of people. And those numbers don't really mean anything. And that was, I love what you said about the reverse bucket list. Because so often we can just look forward. Where do I have to go? What do I need to do? Right. And I want to just, I want to reflect to you, Desi. And I think this is important for anybody who's listening is when we practice something like a reverse bucket list, right? When we actually make this space to see the progress we've made in life to actually slow down and ask ourselves, what am I proud of myself for? Mm -hmm. What are the accomplishments that I can celebrate? When we do this, when we make the space for this, we cultivate gratitude, right? We cultivate Mm -hmm. an energy that actually makes us significantly more likely to go and achieve the things that we then want to go achieve in our work and our personal lives. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen is we forget to look at the progress we've made and just focus on what we don't have and where we want to go. But when Mm -hmm. we actually slow down and see the progress and celebrate ourselves, we actually are more likely to go and achieve those things we want to achieve in the world. Yeah, it was a really huge shift. I was like, oh, shit, I'm really, I've done some things and I'm really proud of myself. So the question, the one question I have is what piece of advice can you give to someone who's just starting out in their meditation practice or getting to know themselves a little bit more? Well, when it comes to someone that's interested in, in getting into meditation, I recommend that 
people drop their expectations around meditation needing to be this thing where the brain is totally still. It's just, it's just very unrealistic. We have lots and lots of thoughts throughout the day. And to think that we're going to sit down and suddenly be able to quiet our minds, this is, this is a, you know, a practice. So when someone's getting into meditation, I say drop the expectations. Know that you get the benefit regardless of what happens in your practice. And start small. I recommend that people you know, download one of the apps. There's a lot of them. I love One Giant Mind. And just do a few minutes a day and release those expectations, drop those preferences, and just open up to that journey. Amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this episode. And thank you so much, Jesse. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Desi. Bye. If you like this episode, share it with someone else who you think would love it too. And if you want to explore the topics we discuss even further, head over to Benshin.co to check out our current courses, workshops, and upcoming events. And I'll be back next time to discuss more things that I'm so honestly into on Benshin Talks Shit. Mm-hmm.